kids. It doesn't matter what you are. Punks, skins, rastas, mauled rockers, Keith Tegrin even. Everybody everywhere, stop snogging and pay attention to me. Because if you're a wild-eyed loner at the gates of oblivion, then hitch a ride with us. Because we're riding on the last freedom moped out of nowhere. And we haven't even told our parents what time we're coming home. So, pull on your dancing trousers and get down to the total and utter king of rock and roll, Cliff Richard! Borak Dong Earthlets, my name is Conrad alongside my friend Fox, and this is the 145th episode of Space Spinner 2000, a podcast where two Americans try to make sense of the UK's own galaxy's greatest comic, 2000 AD, one month of progs at a time. This episode, we're covering 2000 AD for March and April 1986, progs 463 to 466. This time... Ace Trucking is in disguise. Johnny Alpha is in trouble. Judge Dredd is in the Griblig business. And Halo Jones is out. Just out. God, there is no amount of comedy that this wants to throw at me to offset the amount of sadness and upset that I feel. <laughs> this is a... Uh, I was... Yeah, it's true. I was going through it like... I'm really gl- glad that uh, that a Dredd real light this 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 episode because if, if dread was heavy i feel like i don't know if i'd be able to survive oh, I, I mean, <laughs> between I'm halo like, and strontium dog you know right and then a shitload of future shocks that i want to murder in their sleep or even when they're awake with the mm. other baby future shocks watching uh, which i guess are just called <laughs> oh, time geez. twisters right like that's a baby future shock <laughs> yeah i mean sort of a yeah like a, a secondary brand of future shock i guess anyhow if you want to read along with this, you'll find the comics we're covering today in Judge Dredd, The Complete Case Files 9, The Complete Ace Trucking Volume 2, The Ballad of Halo Jones Book 3, and Strontium Dog Search Destroy Agency Files Volume 3. Oof. Okay, Fox. Um, oh, let's just rip this first band-aid off real fast, all right? All right. Here we go. Through one, The Ballad of Halo Jones. Uh, script about Alan yeah definitely man script about Alan Moore art about Ian Gibson letting about Richard Starkings okay so here we go Halo Jones and her platoon are fighting the fast forward war five minutes in combat takes two months she's been at it for two for two days of subjective time and six months of relative time there's a pretty funny opening thing where they see like where, where we see the, the the platoon like walking off onto the battlefield and this guy's like clean shaven with like a brand new plant and then when they come out he's like got a beard and the plant's real big it's pretty yeah, awesome out of the control I I did like that for the visual yuck I guess <laughs> yeah, otherwise pretty depressing yep. uh, she's missed her birthday she, she's now 30 years old in three days she'll be 31 she feels like she's going crazy just dealing with this time stuff which technically see, she it, isn't right like she's she doesn't have the passage of time just suddenly hit her when she comes back right like no but i mean it's disorienting which i get because they, they yeah she does and this repetition thing throughout the entire this first thing that i really like it's real good yeah me too yeah she just keeps saying like i've been i've been fighting on moab for three for two days i've been there for six i've been fighting for six months that stuff um yeah it's not that she's aging as it's going it's just you know your birthday is based on the calendar not sort of how chronologically old you are i guess it's not something that we think about in a time where we have sort of where we don't have like time travel and time distortion that's really fair but 
you know, it's like one of those it, it it it's like how I think they like move your birthday to like the 28th or the, or the 1st if you're born on a leap on a leap day, you know? Because otherwise you'd be like four years old because you only had like four birthdays or whatever. Stop. But anyhow. <laughs> That'd still be kind of awesome. I mean, I think so. Yeah. Oh, I agree. Yeah, you get some lucky stuff there. Um, yeah, so in combat we see Mona go down and Halo has to roll her to safety. And there's a really gross thing where like Halo rolls in. Or sorry, where Mona rolls in, Halo stumbles in. And the uh, last soldier in their platoon just sort of flows in because she's like a, you know, a, a, a gravity smashed puddle, basically. Is it weird that her name is Exxon and then she's just like a black Little bit. puddle? Definitely could be. That's definitely a reference, I feel like. Um, yeah. It seems like they always come back at breakfast time. So she's had breakfast for like for six days, for, for each meal for like for like two days. I would not be complaining about that. I love breakfast. I don't know if I want to eat army breakfast every day, though. Right? Well, I mean, they like, get at least that's an a, egg, which I guess they think mm, is that's disgusting. That's fair. Yeah, that's true. They yeah they got uh they they used to clone food, so eggs are weird. Um, yeah, so Halo is just she, she's freaking out during daytime during downtime. She sees that Lux Rothchop has gotten married, and she remembers dancing with him when he was eleven and she was eighteen, and that like you know that was her and this the 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 combat hardened veteran isn't. The battle never stops; it just keeps going and never ending until suddenly it does. The Which platoon is comes weird in because it just it really yeah. does just stop and with the way that relative time works here, like I don't, I don't yeah when I don't they know if that would just be a thing but yeah yeah like they come back to base and it's all empty and there's just like one person like buffing the floors or something and like yeah listen I, you know I love the part where they erect the giant sphere and then as they walk away it just falls over because <laughs> yeah. everything stops and they don't give a shit. Exactly. The uh, the Earth economy has collapsed and the dolphins have taken over the government and ended the war. It should be good news, but Halo's buddy Life Sentence is not taking it very well at all. Man, we always said it would be lizards, but it turns out it's totally dolphins. <laughs> Listen, all right. Uh, so so the peace sirens are, are wailing as Halo and her platoon are oh, basically God. traveling around telling fighters that the war is over. It's been done for weeks, but no one's believing them. Halo has been promoted to sergeant, which is kind of cool. And the, platoon, the, the platoon's shipping out in a month. They're trying to clear out these final fighters, but they're just refusing to believe the war is done, like shooting at them and stuff. I love that through each of the pages, the siren is just like there. Constantly, constantly blaring, yeah. Later, Halo greets a delegation led by a dolphin ambassador who despairs at the cost of the war on the local population, which Halo hasn't really noticed before. She says that if you could give conscience a shape, it would look like a dolphin, and that's just freaking pro-dolphin propaganda, buddy. Don't <laughs> don't fall for the lies about these dolphins, dude. Like, I mean, listen, there are cetacean overseers, and they are here to help all planets unite under one ocean. Dolphin would would kill you as soon as look at you, and also do real weird stuff to you that actually actually has happened in real life. All right, lies so, and slander. I'm not going to get into it, but like, don't let Lisa Frank get you all mixed up thinking that dolphins are cool, buddy. They aren't. They're animals, just like anything else. All right. Like wow. they can only like they aren't actually neon. All right. That's that's the truth. But wow. anyhow. 
30 women of Beta Platoon have uh, have survived the war, but not all of them will survive the peace. Uh, Halo and a couple soldiers find life sentence locked in a bathroom, blood running from under the door without the war. Yeah, she feels like she has no purpose and has taken her own life. And now I feel really bad because I went from my joke about dolphin propaganda to freaking suicide, which is rough. <laughs> yeah, it's we can't we can't. I mean, we're trying to keep this with some amount of levity, but everything that's happening in Halo is really just horrific. Absolutely. Um, hey, yeah, life sentence dies in Halo's arms. Her final words are, "What's the point of me?" Just if there's no war, and this echoes in Halo's ears because you know whether she wants to admit it or not, she felt like a real kinship with Life Sentence, and the two of them are sort of you know they left the army and came back, and it's really been a defining thing for her. For I guess you know. It would be like the last year of her life, but I guess like <laughs> relatively in terms of relatively, it's like the three years of her life, basically. Yeah. And she just really didn't have anything before that, you know. So she's just, you know, having an identity and an identity crisis that it looks like she might not be able to survive almost. Well, and when you're having an identity crisis and you're feeling kind of vulnerable, nothing like a giant half orc to kind of swoop in. <laughs> yeah. Afterwards. Louise Cannibal, uh, General Louise Cannibal, bumps into Halo while she's writing in her diary and she seems charmed by the eccentricity of writing. He asks if Halo has a lover and says that his is dead and that it's the war, basically, that that's now ended. That was his lover. They stand together holding hands for a long time. Which is intense. Which is... Uh, it's, it's pretty intense, buddy. That guy... I apparently was in love with uh, with this fucking Nebula War. Absolutely, you know, just the the, the violence and the killing, I guess. Yeah. Uh, so Halo Jones and and Louise Cannibal are beginning their courtship. They eat pears in a bitter vinegar sauce among the desolation of Moab. Halo reflects on this and the desolation of her life and that these are damn fine pears. And I'll let you know, Fox, that I actually tried to make this dish in December and, yeah. and it was okay, but not the best meal of my life. But like, I probably didn't have a, as good pears or vinegar as a, as a cannibal has. Is that like a thing? I don't know. I just looked up like, like pear vinegar sauce on, on Google and sort of did my magic. I, I had some pears for the record. Um, <laughs> I would hope so. Hope you didn't substitute yeah. apples. Fucking mm. apples, pears, pears that are a lie. Thanks, nature. Yeah. Well, you know, you got apples and pears, and suddenly you're on the second floor. Ooh, that's an English oh, joke. Um, so I don't get that at all. Halo rejects this fancy courtship and basically just says, like, hey, listen, if they're going to do it, then they should just get together and bone, you know? I, uh, it, it was she, pretty, pretty much that, yeah. Yeah. She says that she likes Louise's hands and that he scares her. She takes her to see his spaceship, which, man, it's kind of like, it's kind of like, like, like a a wang with a scorpion tail, basically. (laughs) It was the first thing that came into my mind and I didn't want to be the one to say it unless you didn't. So I'm not the worst no, person in the room. It's definitely a dong balls and a scorpion tear. <laughs> yeah, it's bite, bites back. Um, oh. But so the ship's really nice. It's got its own FTL drive and stuff. He's planning on taking it and going out since these dolphins are making it pretty hard out there for a warmonger. Yeah. He's under investigation by them now. And, you know, he uh, invites her to check out the hearing, basically. Jesus. 
Cannibal is interrogated by the Dolphin Ambassador, and they're really focusing on the planet Charon, which is Warzone 5, where the whole planet was raised with atomic fire. Cannibal says it was an accident. Later, he gives Halo the keys to the ship and kisses her, leaving a long scratch on her back because of his which, crazy tusks. Which she just kind of keeps touching as she goes to sleep, and she doesn't yeah. have much to lose, and then has some freaky spider nightmares. Yeah, that night Halo dreams of that door marked way out, which we saw in the first non-prologue as part of the story. Uh, She sees passageways full of cobwebs and the corpses of her friends. She should be safe because the war is over, but there's some deeper terror around the corner. So Halo, again, she's dreaming of being caught in a spider's web as she deepens her relationship with Louise Cannibal, and he, in turn, is hounded by the dolphins. The questions are about uh, uh, Charon, the burned world. The dolphins are implying that Cannibal raised it to hide evidence. Evidence of killer worldwide disease spread by vicious rats. A rat war. war. Yeah. It's the most awesome thing I've heard since uh, Rat King. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> and speaking of which, for a rat war, you need a rat king, and Cannibal doesn't have one of those. No one does, except ha- except Halo knows that he di- that he did because she, of course, saved the rat king's life aboard the Clara Pandy a lifetime ago. Which uh, all feels at this point like lies and deceit in her brain. Absolutely, yeah. She's. It's interesting because in the. Uh, in the narration boxes, she's distraught, but I guess sort of spending some time, you know, being a soldier or doing other things, just her life up to this point has allowed her to learn to keep it together with this stuff. It really, like, she, she keeps it pretty fucking cool. Yeah, but while she's sort of, like, you know, hanging out with, with Louise and doing stuff, her 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 mind's going a mile a minute. Her time on the, on the pandy is, like, some of her only remaining good memories. And now they've been spoiled because her actions there led to the deaths of an entire world, basically. Louise seems to know that the game is up and has to go out onto the, onto the surface of Moab to collect some hidden valuables... He has Halo go to warm up his ship's engine, so he's really like, "I'm gonna get, I, I gotta get my secret treasure, and then we're out of here." <laughs> Pretty um, much. But as they go, uh, he has Halo check the valve on his suit. They kiss, and when they do, Halo does something to the valve. With Louise like a walks out. Shake. Yeah, she like, well, she yeah, she 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 hits the valve basically. Um, Louise walks out. Uh, quite smug, unknowingly to his doom, because she's you know turned off that valve, that spigot that we saw throughout the fighting uh, in the in our, the previous episode. And if you don't have that flipped when you go out on on Moab, you just instantly become a puddle, basically. Rich, holy shit! Yeah, that's how it goes. Halo's past, she feels, is behind her. The innocent girl she was is dead, just like everyone else she's ever cared about. All she has is her future. She goes to the hangar and boards Cannibal's ship and prepares to go. It's night, and there are so many stars out there. The ship pulls away from Moab's gravity like it's escaping a giant web, and then Halo Jones is out. Just out. The end of Halo Jones! (laughs) Which, holy shit. So, uh, immediately once this ended, because I was like, oh my god, like... I'm on I'm on a hook at this point. Like I'm really just so fucking into it. I'm into the character, I'm into the development, I'm into the worlds. I'm sad, don't get me wrong. 
Um, mm-hmm. So I immediately go <laughs> to Google. Oh, no. <laughs> and, I, and I type in <laughs> Halo Jones uh, book four and then begin reading uh, for at least 20 minutes of just uh, I'm Alan Moore saying some stuff a long time ago, like, oh, maybe. And then later basically saying IPC can go screw itself. <laughs> yeah. The rights to my characters. <laughs> Um, and then, you know, the rights have changed hands, I imagine, now a few times. And then eventually finding something where Ian Gibson, I guess, like, drew her topless as a gag or as a, like, thing mm-hmm. for a friend. Like, I got really deep in there, and I was just like, Jesus, <laughs> so much nothing has happened except for the re-release no. of this comic. Uh, and clearly, because it's happened so many fucking times, Conrad, and so you're you're a guy who knows a lot about comics, so I'm going to give this over to you for a moment. Teach me why the fuck this isn't being made, or if it is, why didn't I find it? And also, why isn't it? Oh, it's like a movie or something? Oh, I don't know. Yeah. Into an I anything. Mean, uh, maybe like a fourth oh, fucking book? He said she was <laughs> maybe going to be a pirate or a slave. I'm like, damn. Yeah, I mean, um, there were initially plans, um, from what I've read, there that there were going to be ten, like 10 or so books. You know, so this is just the start, really. Like, this isn't... We, we didn't even... Like if 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 that's if if that's the plan, then we haven't really gotten to the main part of the story yet. You know, this is I mean, all the prologue yeah, parts. The prologue, <laughs> because the prologue didn't. It's like anybody could have done it. She was so fucking amazing. But I I have yet yeah. to see what she's been amazing for. Mind you, she has led an amazing life. Um, but nothing mm-hmm. where it's just like the annals of time will remember her for dancing one time at eighteen with Lux Rothschild. Yeah, no, it's true. I mean. Yeah, this is sort of the end of Alan Moore in 2000 AD as well. Um, you know, they'll reprint some of his future shocks in the next year or two. But it's 1986 at this point. Like, like Watchmen's coming out. He's already had his big, excuse me, he's already had a big run in Swamp Thing and stuff. Like, Alan Moore is too mainstream and famous to keep doing 2000 AD. <laughs> it's Jesus. the sad fact, you know. Um, and then, yeah, he just had a huge difficulty with i with ipc you know with the parent companies behind this stuff and you know they wouldn't pay you know they wouldn't pay him what he was worth basically and so he was like fine i'll tell other stories like i don't you know i've got all this other stuff in my head i'm alan moore for god's sake basically (laughs) also at this point ian gibson sort of you know he'll do some more dread stuff periodically but this is sort of his swan song for 2082 i feel like wow um and I mean, well, I mean, you know, he'll be yeah for a couple more years and stuff. But you know, I don't, I don't. He's not, I, he's not really involved in any more like big, big individual stories. I guess is, is is what I'm trying to say. Although I'm 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 happy to be proved proven wrong about that. Um, but um, yeah, I mean, Alan Moore didn't want to do it, and no one else wanted to really pick it up. I guess. Well, um, or or maybe and and I think it. that's yeah. I think it's better. I th- like. I, I I'd be interested to hear your opinions too, but you know I I think it's really good that they just basically look if uh, if Moore and Gibson aren't doing it, then we're just going to leave it be. You know I think yeah. that is that was the best move. I couldn't think of anything worse than uh, you know than in 1987 there being a Halo Jones book four that's by a completely different creative team, and you know not the risk of of not getting it or just sort of turning into. Um, you know, just another sort of regular strip is like rough. You know, would be would be rough. Not that the regular strips are bad, but Halo Jones is something special. I feel like. Well, um, so knowing the like Grant Wagner do not need 
uh, an easy win, I would say, like that, right? They don't just kind of <laughs> grab someone else's shit because they're doing pretty fine for themselves within there. Yeah. But also, at least from what you've told me of the writing staff during this time, and certainly the the people that we see amongst us, like very rarely, I mean, if at all, I mean, maybe you can jog my memory, has someone just snatched someone else's comic and just said, well, I'm doing it now, right? I mean, other than, like, no, we can dispute not Dan's a... origins and all that shit. But Yeah, like, I mean, I'd say... Ex- I don't think anyone's ex- going to ex- touch ex- it out of respect, is the feeling I get. Yeah, everybody seems to mostly stay in their lanes. I mean, the early days, people jumped around to different things, you know, and, like, and like there, there was a lot of changes in writing staff. At this point, everybody is pretty much just writes their own stuff and doesn't really want to want to play in other people's gardens essentially that's going to change sort of in the, in the 90s when we'll get guys like mark miller writing uh, uh, uh robo hunter and other things like that um but i think even by the 90s <laughs> like the idea like it would be like um you, you you'd have to be a philistine basically to like kind of jump in there and and and, and have someone else uh, uh do halo jones stuff you know right i mean once once um, a story is has this i mean because even looking it up like just searching for halo jones there's a lot out there uh and clearly it's made its its impact uh yeah i mean i'd say this is fucking with that is i don't know it's kind of american right like i mean even a thousand times (laughs) well yeah but i mean it's definitely a different sort of concept i mean this is something that that I, I feel is very like a very 2000 AD problem. Honestly, is that there is that people wanting to stick, you know, like having writers just stick with their own creations and stuff like that's very different from American comics where everybody yeah. writes everything basically. And you know, it's like, and I think that that's a problem as as sort of people are getting older. It's like, well, what's going to happen to like Slain when when if 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 you know God, you know, like knock on wood but like if something happens to pat mills like what you know whatever what happens to slain you know um or whatever else but i mean i guess so i guess i but speaking of that fox here's a question that i think i think is actually being asked in our ama um, questions right now <laughs> but so do, um let's say rebellion sud likes a uh a eccentric billionaire buys rebellion and they suddenly have all the money in the world and there's new um new management and blah 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 and they can give him whatever he wants right um would you want like alan moore and ian gibson to come back and do a halo jones book five in like 2019 or 2020 so i I have a hard time of that uh for two reasons so like first is like a business person um Mm -hmm. like giving someone whatever they wanted as an example, so like well, yeah, I Alan mean, Moore's an expensive you know, I'm, man, yeah. but not expensive just because of money, but also expensive because he's like a PR nightmare from what I can tell. <laughs> like I have not read a lot of things that he's said, but he seems to be a very decisive or divisive character within the... the yeah, the, I mean, I'm just saying that more to just kind of be like, j- just konna take away the option, like the, uh, the sure. argument of, oh, it'd be too expensive or something like sure. that. That's all but I mean. then, no, 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 I just mean like... I, so part of it, it, and it's to build to the second point, I don't know if they're the same people anymore, right? Like, I've certainly yeah. read Watchmen, which is around the same time. I have not yep. read anything of Alan Moore's other than 2000 AD, right? And so I, yeah. would, I would have to look at something that he's doing now and say, like, would he still be serious? Because in the 1990s, he was still talking about it and still sounded excited about it. As I progressed through the snippets 
uh, through time as he was talking about Halo Jones, less and less was said and more and more was kind of attributed to the man. And I'm like, okay, well, Mm -hmm. like, don't be a grumpy guts. Just like wait for rebellion to let you have it because... (laughs) <laughs> if, I mean, they're not doing anything with it other than re-releasing, you know, collections once in a while, and it's nice to have in there, but that's going to get old real fast, and they're going to have to make a decision whether to look really bad now or to just kind of, like, bring them on and be like, hey, let's do, like, a book and see how it goes. So, mm-hmm. I don't know. Maybe he's playing the waiting game, but, uh, again, I, I, it's hard for me to say anything definitive about Alan Grant or Ian Gibson, as I haven't read... Alan Moore, or, yeah. Sorry, Alan... <laughs> Right, because uh, I just haven't read their stuff lately, their, their mm-hmm. latest stuff, right? Like, this is my exposure to these people now. And so far, I'm like, this is great, but it could be, you know, I, I don't know, maybe Ian Gibson's like a horrible racist later. I'm sure that's not true, but, you know. I, I mean, I don't know that part of it, but yeah, I mean, I honestly, I kind of agree, like, I really wish, like, if if I had a time machine, I I, I would have done, like, one of the, like, uh, you know, I, I would have done everything in my power if I was um, the the 2080 management to try to get a book four in like 1987 or 1988 or something like that. I mean, yeah, it's good you know? writing. Like 38 years later, I just don't know. I don't know if I'd want them to come back and do it. Like, I'd feel weird, one. And also, like, I'm 100% positive that it would end up just being an allegory about, like, creators' rights in comics or something like that. Yeah. That I don't know if I'd be... If that I'd be stoked to to, to get as a reader, I guess. The but also Development Syndrome, right? Where it comes back and it's just about them not being able to get the show and you're like, this isn't why I right. watched Arrested Development. <laughs> Yeah, or and just like um, at this point, also I feel like the like the expectation of what it's gonna be after thirty eight years would be so high that there's no way you could live up to it, you know. Like um, yeah, and you know, and I don't like, and so for me, I feel like you know, book three is a good. I feel like of the places of the comics that of the versions that we've read, three is the best place to stop. I guess I would have hated if this stopped in book two. And like oh, it was all God. just like Halo at a bar being betrayed by Rodice, being all sad and stuff like that, right? <laughs> Game over. Booze wins. Right. Like this like this one with Halo in his in a in a cool spaceship just heading out to the stars is a really hopeful like, you know, I mean bittersweet, but also hopeful yeah. and that makes it seem like, you know, just, just Halo looking off into the future, I think is a really interesting way to end it and sort of leaves it open for other things. I'll say also, man, I really wouldn't want anybody else to write it, although I am all, I am very interested in stories about, like, young women having adventures in, in a sci-fi setting. Like, you I know. Mean, <laughs> I, I'll say that it's opened itself up for a shitload of fan fiction, so... Yeah, and I mean, yeah, and also I think the the other thing is just that, like, you know, Alan Moore would never do it. Just also, this is kind of a minor thing in his back history, you know. Like, of all the things Alan Moore has done, like I feel like this is the one that people have have seen the have seen the least of, just because of the niche nature of two thousand AD and stuff, which is a bummer because I think this is a really good story and one that deserves more eyes on it. Um, 
And so I'm, 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 I'm glad that Rebellion has, you know, that they keep reprinting it. They've now, the current version is in full color, which I'm very interested to see. And I think might make it more accessible to people. Because I know that's a big, um, a big problem a lot of, like, especially Americans have is just, you know, black and white comics and stuff. Um, and yeah, man, woo, Halo Jones, buddy. I, you know, this, I, it's such a, uh, like as a milestone for our dumb podcast, I think it's really amazing that, that we've now covered it, you know? I mean, it was, um, it was exciting. Something... I think we loved it every single yeah. time it was here. Definitely. And it's really, and it's really something that like, you know, at, at the very least now we've covered that. Like that's sort of a good bucket list. Like, you know, we'll have more buckets as we go, but <laughs> <laughs> but this was a really great one that to to get to. And oh man, we spent half the show, half an hour talking about this thing. Okay. I mean, it sort of it sort of gets it because uh, But the rest it of deserves this, it too. Yeah. Yeah, we're going to breeze through a lot of this before we don't and then <laughs> Yeah, absolutely. All right, so speaking of breezing through Fox. It's speaking about getting high on Thrill. Yeah. I don't know. Always that's the only way to do it. Thrill to Ace Trucking. Okay. Scripter about Alan Grant and John Wagner's Grant Grover. Art about Massimo Bellardinelli. Letting about Tony Jacob. So, aces from multiple universes, Fox, have been arrested by undercover chicken alien customs agents. All right. That's a sentence that's very rarely been said in the history of humanity. Another button is now ticked off. Yeah, now they're trying to escape their clutches by spiking the chicken's food with mind-bending boozlebugs. Hey, man, when you're catching people for a crime, you still got to eat. And I guess you're going to make a giant millet cake. Seed cake thing? Yeah, I don't know. Anyhow, I believe dieharding in a a kitchen is also under sieging because Steven Seagal was a cook on the ship (laughs) in that movie. Um, Oh, wow. Or under sieging too dark territory. Um, Anyhow... (laughs) The Uck Pucker agents proceed to eat Boozlebug laced seed cakes and they're getting high. <laughs> yeah. With the Uck Puckers incapacitated, it's just down to GBH to pop open the door and we're back in the smuggling business. Apparently, I mean, he could have just. I, I always love how GBH just is able to do things that's. They're stuck in a place and GBH can just get them out by moving a little bit. Almost for always, people who that's get ca- case. Yeah. Yeah, for people who get captured so often, it's pretty funny how GBH can just sort of a, can just sort of break out at, at any time if he feels like it. It's pretty awesome. I mean, he's pretty lawful. <laughs> yeah. No, yeah, definitely. He's just pushed into these things by ace. So the customs officers are bouncing off the walls and while that'll cause tr- and, and and while th- that'll cause trouble, it's lucky cuz they've eaten a whole bunch of the evidence. Um, the chickens are having a real good time and Ace is preparing to get rich selling the remaining Boozlebug eggs they'll need disguises to sell them in Chicken City though yeah they're all high all over the place so so, so they need chicken suits to sell them in Chicken City luckily they have a great source of feathers these high ass customs agents Wow. the Aces rope them with their scarves and suddenly it's just an orgy of chicken plucking it's getting weird in Ace Trucking (laughs) I, I gotta say, one of my favorite sentences you've also said is in this episode, which is, "It's a, and where are they going to get all these feathers? Why these high-ass customers? <laughs> That's right. Yeah, it's, I'm trying to be factual. Yeah. Really so the aces, 
The Aces pluck the feathers off the stone customs agent, and Feeks makes them some awesome chicken costumes. Feek refuses to make ones for himself or to get involved in this scheme at all. But the uh, the garbs are forced to then cover him in honey and roll him around the feathers as you do. Which I mean, because they, they need like a, a a bug specialist there to yeah. They, they need an show. expert on boozle bugs. Yeah, for this egg deal. Meanwhile, there the plan is that GBH will stay aboard the ship and keep the authorities busy. And Honor Guard and Band is waiting for the customs agents arriving on the Speedo Ghost. And they're surprised to instead just see the disguised aces and Feek come out. And Feek is saying, puck, puck, instead of hee-hee, which is pretty good. <laughs> Luckily, all these Uckpuckers are pretty dumb. So the aces are able to just slide past them pretty easily and get a cab to their meeting spot. Hooray. There's a legal thing. There's a legal doings to get to. So, the Uckpuckers want to honor Captain Leghorn and give him the Pullet Zerf Prize. Because okay. Pullet's another name for a chicken, buddy. Uh, really? <laughs> but, yeah. But it all goes bad when Leghorn and his men reveal themselves to be all stoned and naked, flying around disgracefully. <laughs> um, it's a weird deal. It's, it's tough, man. There's only one chicken that can handle that job, and that's Rooster Cogburn. I'm really excited Need- about this Cogburn-esque chicken or Coburn-esque Definitely. Meanwhile, the aces make contact at a crazy chicken nightclub, falling through a trap door. Cogburn then arrives with a small army and a giant tank. What a rooster. He insults Leghorn and tries to get info from GBH who ain't talking. GBH is led away and they get word that the boys were last seen in a taxi headed for Barnyard Square. The game is afoot. Next time, Scarface. God, it's really uh, it's really odd how we go from like making, I guess like illegal drugs to then sell to people to getting customs agents high on them to like a military. Like I mean, it's a tank and like people on motorcycles with gauze yeah. guns and stuff. Man, it's they're not fucking around. Yeah, life's rich tapestry on display in Ace Trucking for sure. <laughs> <laughs> Um, I will say, Fox, it's, it's funny that you said he's 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 Coburn uh, instead of Cogburn because actually he's John Wayne. Like we're entering. So that's a, what I was gonna say. It's like he yeah. doesn't look like Coburn. You know, he looks like John Wayne, buddy, because John Wayne played Rooster Cogburn in the movie uh, True Grit. Right. That's why he's got I the saw, eye patch and stuff too. I didn't see the old one. I saw the new. Yeah, well, you know, I mean, J- Jeff Daniels is not in a position to be Rooster Cogburn this, at, at, in, in 1986. You know, that's just how it goes. That's We're fair. entering... Jeff, Jeff sort- Daniels is fucking amazing. I love that actor. Yeah, I know. He's great. Does that one voice. It's real good. Um, <laughs> the dude? Yeah, but like he was Rooster Cogburn. I don't know. Whatever. I don't want to get into this. But um, <laughs> we're entering sort of a sort of a roost, sort of a chicken celebrity cameo section in oh. Ace Trucking. Are you fucking serious? So John Wayne's the first, uh, the first like salvo in this war of chicken celebrity um, cameos. But there's gonna be a lot more next episode, so just keep an eye out. Fucking gorgeous. There's like a chicken Mick Jagger and stuff. It's what? crazy. Yeah. I, I've, I've spoiled you too much. Anyhow. <laughs> awesome. Speaking of uh, illicit recordings, like your own uh, podcast, Space Spinner 2000, oh it's Thrill 3, Judge Dredd. Oh, uh, yeah. Gonna, I guess, just do some horrible shit to people. Yeah, murder time, buddy. for revenge and whatever. <laughs> 
Grover. Yeah. Script robot John Wagner and Alan Grant as TV Grover. Art robot Cam Kennedy and Barry Kitson. Uh, letting robot Tom Frame. Some mustaches so, that always drive him evil, Connor. Can't trust him. Dredd is investigating a bug found in an apartment of a mugging victim. Or sorry, that, uh, that led him to the apartment of the wife of a mugging victim, basically. The tech judges have found the location of the bug in the apartment of the victim's ex-wife, Yolanda Felucci. Dredd confronts the woman, finds the bug in her apartment, and wants to know what's up. Meanwhile, one of the perps from that mucking is going to blackmail Yolanda's lover, Not Judge Sladek. Just so stupid. I mean, I know you mentioned this. this. It's just like he's going to shoot him, and I'm like, yeah, he's going to shoot him. He shot him. Yeah, it's a, it's a, it's, it's a bad plan. He demands fifty thousand credits, even though you know judges don't actually have any money. Like they don't get no. paid; they just sort of do their duty. You know. Um, they get fed in the end. Sl- cool tanks. Yeah, for like 10 minutes. In the end, Sladek decides, just, j- just screw it, basically, and guns down the would-be blackmailer. He then gets the info on the dead perp's known associates and goes radio silent. Meanwhile, Yolanda has spilled the beans about her relationship, and Dredd goes to take Sladek in. But he, before he can, Sladek survived the perp's moped and just straight-up murders the knee-pad kid. <laughs> Boom. <laughs> hey, remember that guy? Not anymore, you don't. Nah, that guy's knee, knee pad kid's dead, baby. Then he got uh, He tries the to kill the. Th- yeah, he tries to kill the. Th- I I think he got him in the in the knee. Was that right? No, but maybe gut shots, right? Uh, but then Dredd shows up and shoots Sladek's gun out of his hand, and it, and, and it's sort of all over. It turns out that the narration for this whole story was done by the surviving perp Mocolino from a med bay before going for twenty five years in the cubes. Get out of here. See you um, in twenty five. Yeah, meanwhile, Sladek is off to do 20 years on Titan. And sure, you know, the perps he killed here deserve to die just sort of because of the law. But he did it to cover up his relationship, and that means that he broke the law. Still, Mm -hmm. Sladek says it was worth it as Yolanda looks on tearfully as he's taken to Saturn's moon. Specifically strikes Dredd as saying, you'll never actually understand, like, why it was worth it. Hey, man. Yeah, that's because Dredd's only got one love, and it's not some stupid lady, buddy. It's the law. Hey, it's Lady Justice. Whoa, she's blind and weighing things. Uh, (laughs) Just how I like him. Oh, yeah. Uh, Next up, Barry Kitson takes over for the first time on Dredd as we start kind of a weird-ass story. (laughs) Gribblings! Are they actually just going to... Because this is sort of a spoiler, I guess. Are they really going to be in... The, the mega city again like are we going to make references not really okay. no um in a sector house and um uh mega city one space liner steward is being brought in for video sl- illicit video slug and turns in a bunch of other crewmates in hope of leniency it's among real them up dark web shit man 101 actual killings torture the alien way and how to disembody a close friend. <laughs> seriously tough stuff man this is a grim future, you know? Yeah. Um, among the people he turns in is Hud Priestley, who is smuggling who's smuggling in some kind of animal without a license. Naturally, the rat still gets a full sentence because that's Mega City Justice. <laughs> Hud is arriving home and presents his girlfriend with a pair of cute alien monsters called Griblings. They're very dangerous and pretty awesome. Or dexterous, and, I should say, and, and pretty well, awesome. And they're DTF, dude. They're ready. Always. It's a male and a female called Nelson and Cleo. Yeah, they want to get out pretty hard. And once they're let a, left, <laughs> left alone, 
Yeah, they ma- they uh, manage to break out of their cages and get to it. Surely this will end well. <laughs> Dread rolls rolls in and arrests the crew of that space liner. The captain is James Crick, which I thought was pretty good. And I love this part where this guy's arrested for bigamy and he's doing nine months per wife for ten and a half years in total, which means fourteen. Which means he's got fourteen wives. And his response is just, "Oh, the wives will kill me." And I think that's really funny. It's really just bizarre. 14 wives is too many wives, dude, for the record. Um, I'd argue that at about three, it gets to be a bit much. um, You know, for me, it's 10 or nothing, but I'm weird. Anyhow. um, (laughs) Go for gold. Dread looks... Yeah. Dread looks for HUD, but he's not around. Meanwhile, at the Linda Nolan block was an Irish singer. HUD and his girlfriend wake up to find their apartment overrun by cute-ass gribblings. Yeah, they kind of gotta go. <laughs> yeah, weird incest orgy, I'd imagine. Yeah, um, right? Because there were only the two. And now there are like fucking a whole shitload of them. Yeah, straight up Adam and Eve kind of situation. Oh, real Whatever. Um, me, uh, so, yeah. Hud's freaking out, so he grabs a samurai sword off the wall and starts <laughs> slashing, killing his girlfriend by accident. Yikes. Which, this is why you never go for a full backswing. You only hit with some pretty dog. Super dark. Um, (laughs) While he's grieving over her, the griblings bite him on the butt and drop a statue on his head when he falls over. These guys are out for blood. Apparently a really heavy statue because it crushes his entire skull. That's right. Several weeks later, Dread responds to a noise complaint and finds the apartment just a sea of gribblings and all that remains of the couple are their gnawed over bones. Just a mass of gribblings and a bunch of human skeletons poking out of it. Uh, Dread calls in his pest control and the whole place is fumigated, but before they can be taken out, a couple of the gribs flush themselves down the toilet to safety. Well, he even remarks before they get gassed, he's like, uh, like likable likable little creeps but you're gonna have to yeah. die now how many times have i had to say that um but yeah <laughs> so they make it to the sewers you know they say they'll like gas the sewers too but they're real big so they could probably survive a month later the first gribbling is spotted coming out of the sewers and i guess they're just the new normal here in mega city one hooray we've got some bearded or mustachioed bipedal dog creatures that just fuck until there's too many of them. Yep. Luckily, from what I could tell, there aren't really any more appearances... Of the Griblings until there's a until in the uh, in in the magazine there's a there was a series of of comics called Whatever Happened to and then the just sort of subsequent adventures of various dread of of various 2000 AD characters mostly dread ones you know there was one for Tweak from the Cursed Earth uh, my buddy Conrad Khan a famous actor because um, he's named Conrad and like also like a giant from from Harlem Heroes also which is which, which was kind of interesting. And one of them was indeed whatever happened to the Griblicks. And they're just sort of living their lives below the sewers, doing it just so much. Just so much <laughs> Griblick sex. Like, gross. It's real, it's real crazy. A couple gets outcast because they only want to do it with each other, and that's an abomination to Griblick society. <laughs> There's literally, there's literally the line that said like the like this one griblig, you know, he'd only had sex like a couple thousand times, and that practically made him a virgin in griblig society. But anyhow, oh my god. <laughs> Next up, it's the big sleep. Cam Kennedy's back on art, 
And this is clearly just a, 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 a film noir Judge Dredd story with the narration and a cool dude named Flip Marlowe, like Philip Marlowe, the, uh, the, the detective. Um, anyhow, he's a cool dude. He's a private eye, which stands for private intimidator. He's got a cool hover bike and a helmet. And he's just making his rounds intimidating people, you know, making sure what they pay back their loan shark debts and stuff. I mean, gosh, I don't know. It's hard for me to think of in any job that's not judge that, that, that that's not being a judge, you know. But yeah, this guy is very dread like what with the helmet and stuff. Um, anyhow, he goes to his first intimidation of the day, but he got the address wrong at the right place. The guy was waiting for him and shoots him, and he just tosses that guy out the window because that's how you do. But this draws the attention of Judge Dread. Womp womp. Yeah, Marlo tries to escape, but Dredd catches up to him. The P.I. goes to drive off on his bike, but can't outrace the bullet of a lawgiver. He gets shot in the gut, but he's worried less about the judge after him and more that someone has tipped off the guy who shot him. He's being betrayed, and someone's trying to give him the big sleep. I mean, time to get some payback. Yeah, next time, Harry Carey. All right. Two E's. <laughs> You know, I like any Marlowe reference. It's funny that this that that that, that some guy jumped off a roof here because there's actually I, I think in the Big Sleep movie actually or some other Marlowe movie with uh, James Garner, he actually gets in a fight with Bruce Lee, like the actual like you know Bruce Lee the dude, and Damn. he uh, he wins the fight because Bruce Lee tries to jump kick him and he just ducks out of the way and he, they were on top of a building so Bruce Lee goes <laughs> over the side of it. Really? Yeah. That's great. It's that's, pretty awesome. One of my faves, I gotta say. That's Anyhow. good television right there. <laughs> yeah, that's right. Hey, speaking of things that might not be my faves, Fox. Huh, what would the, that be? Non-brills, covers, and nerve center. All right. Prog 463, the end of the road for Judge Sladek. It's an action-packed Cam Kennedy cover, and a nerve center... Thark, the East Ender, has terrible news. After 14 months at 24 pence, next issue, the price of the prog has gone up to 26 pence. No. (laughs) There's a picture of a Gronk Samurai's letters. It's pretty good. I like, you know, anytime the Gronk talk is there. Um, it's, uh, it's, it's always appreciated. Missing you, Gronky, I gotta say. Um, there's, um, Oh, man, okay. There's letters fact-checking Tharg, getting 2000 AD in the Netherlands, requests for ABC Warrior info, and questions about newspapers in Mega City 1. Mid-prog, there's a giveaway of the Judge Dredd role-playing game, which I got a copy of, actually, as a giveaway from uh, the Mega City Book Club when they, awesome. they did their review of that. And uh, and uh, Aben was like, hey, who wants uh, who wants a copy of the, of the Judge Dredd role-playing game? I was like, hey, I'll take it. Um, there's... Uh, there's also a survey about the recently concluded Tomb of Terror stories, including some final stats and general adventure game questions, which I think of as having worked in this in- industry, just sort of tuning stuff, like was this too yeah. hard, was it too easy, etc. There's uh, also listings of the winners of the robotics contest from about 20 progs ago, and the back cover is for the movie Daryl, which I remember watching on a, like as a kid on VHS way long ago. And I it's have about- no idea what this is. It's it's just a kids movie. It's about uh, Bastion from the Neverending Story as a cool like I forget if he was a cyborg or just a straight up robot. Um, I guess it's a robot because Daryl stands for Data Analyzing Robot Youth Life Form. Oh, um, that's a mouthful. But I remember 
Yeah, I remember the final uh, action sequence involving a crazy laser pistol or something. I don't know. Okay. But uh, yeah, this this is thirty. This is remembering thirty years ago with Conrad. Anyhow, <laughs> <laughs> Prague four sixty four. Brett Ewins draws a huge dread looming over the city. It's an awesome. Nowhere. Cover. It's really great. Nowhere to hide from the law. It says, and then the the perps running away from the giant dread are just like, no, we don't know. Oh man. Yeah. Um, <laughs> Real good, although indeed the price of the prog has indeed gone up to 26 pence. In the nerve center, Tharg the Imposter apologizes for the price increase and promises that everyone who sends an artwork will now get 10 pounds in return. There are letters with a poem about green stuff, ancient slain-like symbols spotted in Spalding, Lincolnshire, Positive letters about the drug art, the uh, the dread RPG, which is funny because there was a negative letter about it. I think last episode, um, and a Judge Death T-shirt spotted on the TV show Off Wiedersehen, Off Wiedersehen Pet, which I don't know what that is. Anyhow, whatever. Yeah, Mid Prog, there's two pages of readers' art, all different kinds of cool judge pictures, including a Britsit judge, which isn't too different from what they'll at, from what they'll actually be. Oh. It's 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 got a sweet cloak. I always appreciate those. And the prog ends with a pretty fun pinup by Eric Bradbury. The dictators of Zragula are menaced by the shining sun of Thog. Also looking mighty <laughs> creepy. I just love when Bradbury comes in and just draws some gross stuff. I'm always a fan of that. Yep. Uh, prog 465. Uck puckers plucked by Tucker Truckers. Straight up horror <laughs> with naked chickens and ace trucking and chicken suits in this Bella Dinelli cover. Night, no sleep for me. <laughs> yeah, pretty much. Like, I've said in the past that I didn't really read Ace my first prog slog through, you know? And these are the kinds of covers that just confused and terrified me and make me say, I'm not picking that one up. Like, that's just too much. Um, in the Nerve Center, ZZ Tharg is talking up the second issue of Dice Man, which seems pretty cool. There's a picture of Judge Ucko and letters about drawings being published. Tharg prefers a photocopy of a drawing instead of having to deal with a self-addressed stamped envelope to return original art, just FYI. There are requests for a dread dart set and some positive uh, words for Ace Garp. I'd be into a dread dart set. Yeah, like you get like it, it's it's just like like a like a Judge Death dartboard, and then like little like Judge Dread like wing things for the darts. They they actually yeah. say the word for those things, but I forget what it is. <laughs> Mid Prog, there's a preview for the return of Judge Anderson in Prog four sixty eight instead of his previously claimed four sixty six, and she seems to be fighting some sort of shawarma monster. I don't know. Mmm, <laughs> shawarma monster. But it looks like that, like, you know, like the, the, the stick with the meat on it, they just cut pieces off of it. You know what I'm yeah, saying? Yeah, it does. Um, it's delicious. Yeah. <laughs> the prog ends with a, new, with, a, with a new, the new master's entry for Cliff Robinson. He's got Dread, Hershey, Anderson, and the four dark judges off of it. And I got to say, I like Cliff Robinson. And I'd say he's definitely a key Dread artist, and I'd call him a new master at this point. But in 1986, he's still pretty fresh to be in this like set of things. That's all I'm saying. Damn. <laughs> yeah, that's right. Shots, Shots fired, fired by past Dude's, Conrad. I mean, he's only like 24 based on like his ages and stuff. You know, he's greener than a pepper tree, buddy. Uh, <laughs> Prog 466, tarantula descending. Ian Gibson gives us one best. last. Yeah, awesome Halo Jones cover. Big old spider on it. This one's a pretty iconic one, just if you're doing cover montages. In the nerve center, 
Tharg the Robo Cigar laments the end of Halo Jones and plugs the ninth birthday prog coming up. There's a picture of Judge Hoagie and letters asking for a bumper sticker of 2000 AD as a free prize and a request for a 2000 AD Trivial Pursuit game. A mom is throwing out old progs and a kid complains about not getting a prize for having their art published in the 2000 AD annual. Uh, Towards the end of the prog, there, yeah. Towards the end of the prog, there's a pinup for the forthcoming Bad City Blue coming okay, to a slum near so you. I just had to see this image and I'm fucking excited. Yeah, I'm pretty stoked about this one too. Um, I really forget it the initial time. I remember it's got a really strong narrator and um, Robin Smith does some interesting art for it. I'm, I'm stoked to, to, uh, to, to check it out. It'll be next episode, I believe. Um, and then at the end of the prog, there's a, a really great new Masters with um, with Massimo Bellardinelli. He just draws a ton of dudes. There's Ace Trucking, the complete uh, complete with Massimo Bampot, Blackhawk and the crew, like Ursa and Unk and stuff. Um, or not, what was the name of that guy? Yeah, uh, there's, a, there's a Stone from Meltdown Man, Launch Dan Dare, Slain, and even the Mean Team. Very nice stuff. He's been around for a bit. Yeah, I mean, he was in Prague 1. You know, he did uh, D- Dan Dare in Prague 1. Absolutely. The coolest looking Always Dan a fan. to date. Oh, I don't know. I like that Dave Gibbons one with the coat, oh, man. He got that coat. <laughs> <laughs> that smuggler's vest. That's right. L- listen, man. Like, he was like, uh, I-, I saw that coat Han Solo wore, and I'm going to get one just like it, but it's going to have a shearling lining because it gets cold yeah. in space. <laughs> using your noodle. <laughs> Anyhow, speaking of remembering the past, Fox, it's Thrill 4, Strontium Dog. Oh, man. Oh, man. Yeah, man. Alan, uh, script about Alan Grant and John Wagner's Alan Grant. Art about Carlos Escara. Letting her about Gordon Robson and his kid Robson. I don't want to talk about it. Sorry, buddy. We got to do it. Wolf and one, uh, Wolf and one of the Max Bubba gang awaken in the Canterbury Keep future prison in the year 2170. After some scuffling, they're both tased, and it looks like Johnny's cleaning up, but he better do it fast, because the timeline's getting all crazy. Meanwhile, Max Bubba and Johnny Alpha are having a showdown in the year 793 AD. Bubba, being a villain, of course, starts monologuing as Johnny uses Alpha Vision to trick him into losing focus, at which point Johnny hits him with a high kick and then a time grenade. Good combo. Yeah, Bubba's caught and dams Alpha loudly and awesome and often. With the baddies caught, we can only wait to see if time stabilizes. So, the battle is won, and maybe Johnny saved the future. The remaining Marine and the Vikings help Johnny push all the futuristic stuff, like the chopper and the guns and stuff, the bodies of the future dead, into the nearby volcano to destroy all the evidence of time travel. The Vikings are buried, click, click and Johnny promises to... Re- to re- Oh, yeah, please. So, like, later, they say this. He's like, I left some future weapons back there. And they're like, don't worry, we earmarked that shit, and we'll get them. So he's doing all of this work to push stuff into a volcano that he later then is like, there's some other stuff back there. And they're like, ah, we would have taken care of it. It's fine. Well, I mean, I think the answer is that at this point, time was currently pretty wibbly-wobbly. So destroying this stuff then helped stabilize it. And once it was stabilized, they could send people back to do the rest of the cleanup, basically. I, I That's my answer. I appreciate time being called wibbly wobbly. By the way, I mean, you know, I ha- I've been hanging out with those uh, Where Eagles Dare and, and Sofa and so, 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 Sofa Cast boys. So it wears off. Um, <laughs> so, t- 
uh, Johnny whips back to the present and everything's cool. Time is stabilized. The time travel guys, yeah, they'll sweep it like you said. And Johnny has them free Wolf and he prepares to send Wolf back to his home time. But Wolf stops him. They owe each other their lives so many times that he's got to stay in the future to repay his debt. So, uh, the beginning? Sure, until you realize that in 2185, Johnny Wolfer staked the ground bleeding out under the baleful gaze of Max Bubba. He's getting his revenge. God fucking damn it, man. I didn't want to go back. I don't want to deal with this, and I refuse to interact with this comic book. (laughs) Sorry, buddy, we're getting real in Strontium Dog here. Staked out in the hot sun, Max Bubba taunts Johnny and Wolf by pouring out like a canteen next to them. It's been a day or so, and while his goons are getting restless, Max is committed to making the dogs die a slow death. Wolf has different ideas, though. He pulls his stake out of the ground and starts beating up the goons. He steals a gun and kills a couple of them, but eventually there's too many of them, and he takes four or five shots to the chest and falls. His final words to Johnny Alpha, see you in Valhalla. God damn it. It's tough, man. Johnny Alpha swears revenge against Bubba for his fallen friend, but Max isn't that worried about it because Johnny's still tied down. And after two days of exposure, exhaustion, and pain so great that even his thoughts of vengeance are pushed out of his mind, Johnny Alpha dies as well. The Bubba gang heads off, but not before tattooing the name Bubba across Johnny's dead chest. The end. <sighs> also, got a free Legend of the Lincolns color poster and eagle That's this week. such a bad fucking time to do that. <laughs> Like not now, dude. Sorry, there's a big, there's a big ad for legends for like a post, a free color poster, an eagle, right underneath this big close up of Johnny Alpha's dead face and the word the end. That, that can't, that can't have been a comic creator <laughs> fucking choice. You know what I mean? Like if they just got to put it at the end of the comics or something. I mean, there's ads written on the bottom throughout the progs recently. Um, well, and that's and, what I mean. That feels like a fucking Fleetway deal. Yeah, it's tough. Um, So, the next day, the Keebles from the Slavers of Drool storyline swing by Johnny's house and find the whole place destroyed. Johnny and Wolf have been killed. Eleanor Keeble tries to give Johnny water and it sparks something within him and he lurches to life. With this gross-ass tattoo of Bubba on his chest. Everyone remarks about this, by the way. Totally. Wolf's definitely dead, though. Bad times. They rush Johnny to the town where the doctor says he's in a bad way. He might not survive, but as folks bring in Wolf's body, it's clear that if Johnny survives, Max Bubba and his gang are in deep shit. Next time, a mutant possessed. If he doesn't kill every single last one of them in fucking rage... I'm going to be very upset at this comic. They took what I mean, was one of the most important things in my Strontium dog life and shot it in the fucking gut like five times. Like, what about the Gronk? Who's going to tell Gronky? Have you been reading ahead, Fox, or, 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 or checking out what's coming up? No. Because the next Strontium dog storyline, where he does get his revenge, is called Rage. That's the name of the storyline. <laughs> That's fucking great. <laughs> Oh yeah, Johnny, and hey, Johnny, Johnny, kill everybody for me because they fucking. I mean, yeah, he's gonna like, <laughs> like spoilers. But Johnny Alpha gets his revenge. <laughs> 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 uh, 
And then after that, he starts hanging out with a sexy lady vampire. And then he has a what? big freaking freaking caper with time traveling Ronald Reagan. Yeah, what buddy. Fuck, what are you talking about? <laughs> oh, God, I love Strontium Dog. Oh, man. Okay. Speaking of things that I don't love, though, Fox. Uh, uh, so I'm gonna I'm gonna sit here. Podcat came into the room, so I'm just gonna I'm gonna sit here. I'm gonna pet my cat. I'm gonna let you do your thing, and then I'll describe to the audience why I hate everything you just had to do. Reasonable thrill five future shocks. Okay, whole bunch of future shocks here with Halo Jones ending in um in the in like like three progs in there's at least two and there's at least two months or two 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 progs this one that have two feature shocks which is always rough uh first one hotel harry felix script about grant morrison art robot jeff senior letting robot tony jacob just a basic two-pager here with aliens moving into the brain of a famous compose uh, conductor and he decides to get rid of them by making his body a bad play a bad piece of real estate um, to make them leave but by becoming a bum and stuff but instead they respond by doing you, what's usually done to a destitute piece of pr- property they demolish it and does he like explode anyhow uh, gentrification is the real killer <laughs> <laughs> the, the big news here though is that this is the first appearance by future big name comic book writer Grant Morrison in 2000 AD um, I'm not a huge DC guy. Like, I've read mostly Marvel and now 2000 AD, I'd say. But I'd say actually a ton of the DC stuff I've had, I've have read is written by Grant Morrison, including his uh, fourth wall breaking Animal Man, uh, when he took over for Alan Moore on Swamp Thing, his work on Doom Patrol. All that stuff's really awesome and has a really cool, like, sort of modern comic sensibility before that monic- modern comic sensibility got all played out and like, oh, talking to the camera, eh? Yeah, never seen that before, whatever. None of um, these things, you know. I don't understand anything about what you're saying. I remember Swamp comic Thing because stuff. there was a comic, or there was a cartoon and a movie. Well, well, Doom Patrol has a TV show now, actually, and it looks pretty cool and very sort of the Grant Morrison era of Doom Patrol. Um, it's, it's on like a DC streaming service, I think, though. Oh, man, I'm um, not going to do that. Yeah, um, he also um, he uh, he's also famous for for the Invisibles, which I've tried to read and bounced off of several times. I'm sad to say. Oh. Um, and then he'll do he, he's going to do a, a a bunch of future shocks here in 1986, and then 1987 he'll do 2080's answer to Watchmen and the Dark Knight Returns, which I'm pretty stoked for in uh, Zenith. Okay, it's good. Just as sort of a uh, sort of a, a, a Dark Age era um, superhero story. Um, then later he'll do some stuff I'm really dreading with Mark Miller in the early 90s. Good times. Big what? Dave. I'm worried. I'm scared of you, buddy. Anyhow. Um, <laughs> what? You know, you know, this is that's a 2021 problem, honestly. Fox. Oh, my or God. Maybe 2020. Stop. Oh, God. Fuck. You. 2020, 2021, 93. You know, okay, it's a ways okay. away. <laughs> nah. Listen, you'll be fine. Uh, next story, oh, what a lovely war. Script about Ola Stepanuk, oh, art robot John Stokes, living robot Tony Jacob, a Tommy in World War I is in the trenches. There's a gas attack. Should he run and grab his gas mask? He uh, he gets, gets gets the mask and survives, gets one point. Later, a grenade is tossed over, and he's, getting, he's got to choose to jump away or throw it back. He jumps away and survives, gets another point. 
Later, there's a German raid on the trenches, and he's got to choose rifle or bayonet to fight them back. He goes rifle, but it's not loaded, and he dies. It's a bummer, especially for the kid that's controlling him. He's only got two million points and gets cuffed by his dad because this manipulative time machine computer game costs a fortune in electricity. Anyhow. So, do you want to do... The fucking subsequent. There's two jokes that we can apply here for air horns. The first, and I'll we'll just put it to a space vendor vote. The first Please, is let, game over, yeah, man, game it. over. Or uh, what kind of douchey video game designer is using Dragon's Lair as an inspiration uh, in this future where you can time travel and play video games? Dragon's, Dragon's Lair only Lair. makes sense if you're doing it at a coin op machine. <laughs> <laughs> you went for the Dragon's Lair joke. Oh yeah, listen man, I'm paying 25 cents to press buttons at the right color time. If you I love Dragon's Lair cuz like you can spend 5 hours and 100 dollars on it and never finish it, but you watch like a walkthrough like a like a video of it and it's like like 10 minutes long. It's real ridiculous. Um it's really upsetting because it Yeah. It really well, God, we're talking about future shocks too long. Continue. Okay. Next up, seconds out. Script robot Ola Stepanuk letting um art robot Jeff Anderson letting about Tony Jacob. One pager here. Captain Kirk type is working on a cargo freighter. He's got ten seconds before it explodes. He does some last minute stuff, but then at six seconds left, it, it does explode because the first officer's watch is running slow. <laughs> Best uh, bad watch shock. Chris. Yeah, wristwatches are the real enemy. Bam, bam, bam. Um, anyhow, next up. Uh, Sud's Law, scripted about Ola, a lot of Ola Stepanuk here. Uh, he's doing this one too. Art about Kim Raymond, lettering about Tony Jacob. Long time since we saw Kim, Kim Raymond, almost a year of progs. Uh, this is a longer one, but yeah. basically... Um, <sighs> aliens have been discovered by the producers of uh, Dead Enders, Britain's second most popular soap operas, and Dead Enders is clearly East Enders, and their rival is called Brook Shields, which I believe is is for Brookside. Well, that's supposed to be a spinoff from South oh, Shields, which I'm having trouble finding. Anyhow, this is a Coronation Street podcast through and through. Anyhow, again, <laughs> Brook Shields is killing Dead Enders because they have an alien character, but it's just a guy in a suit. Dead Enders will win the ratings war by getting a real alien, but first they gotta find one. It's out. They uh, the. Uh, Producer of the show knows there's an alien way out in space. They got to send a ship to find him. Then they hire Captain Kirkby, who hates all soap operas and soap opera stars. A lot of Captain Kirk references in these in this uh, episode of Space Spinner 2000. Um, they send him out in a spaceship along with the cast of the show to find those aliens. Not long out, the captain is constantly being annoyed by the drama of the stars dealing with their drunken fits, angry vendettas, and torrid romance. Back on Earth, the plan is going great, and the starship captain who hates soap operas marooned in a ship full of them on a wild goose chase is the most popular soap opera star in history. All right, next up, Biological Warfare, script robot Ola Stepanuk, art robot John Stokes, letting robot Steve Potter. Classic future shock, shock kind of storyline here is a sci-fi dude is tasked with creating a new ad campaign for soap. He uses the coming threat of invading vegan aliens to explain that his soap can take out even the stuff, the toughest stains, including human and vegan blood. It's a great ad that really works, but unfortunately had to use real vegans for it, and they're killing everyone. Also, circa 2019, it's real hard to not just call them vegans and make a lot of <laughs> vegan jokes, but I am a professional and will not stoop to that level. Um <laughs> 
<laughs> Final Future Shock, The Altercation. Script about Grant Morrison, art about Alan Langford, letting her about Tony Jacob. Dude's pursued by aliens, gets stabbed by one of them, turns into an alien himself. Luckily, this whole thing is a commercial for aliens suffering from humanitis. Okay, so this we've seen before like 10 or 400 times. Uh, but this, this is, is a real a, classic one, too. Yeah, but this is a good wrapping for that same kind of concept. I like it. Langford's art's pretty good here, just the way the aliens are drawn and stuff like that. Yeah, listen, you know, if you want humanitis or humanitis testing supplies, um, you know, just call them up. Anyhow, Fox, with that orgy of future shocks, (laughs) (laughs) we have completed this episode, March and April 1986, Prog's 463 to 466. Ugh, real crazy episode and with that i got one question for you my friend of mine which is what were your top and bottom thrills uh bottom future shocks moving on uh, oh let me think here so like halo jones is something that i love so much she is my super bay and i love all of her stories but knowing that she's not coming back really fucking super bums me out but so does strontium mm. dog and these are the two mm. that are wrestling right now in my brain because everything else was fine but those two stole the show you know what i mean so i'm gonna say at risk of being controversial. I mean, I love you, Halo. I love you. I've given it to you so many times, but I'm giving this one to Strontium Dog because of Whoa. two strong reasons. Number one, Wolf Sternhammer, after all of this lead up into who this character is and, and how he got there, was done in true kind of um, Strontium Dog fashion. Strontium Dog also, I just want to make a note. Um, taking a page from sort of like how skiz or how halo used to sort of do this now Halo's covered in a lot of like thought boxes with a lot of words which i appreciate mm-hmm. because they are full of context and also important as opposed to like you know newsflash this is where we are and this is how things are happening even though they're in the actual art boxes Strontium Dog, Mm -hmm. like for a long time now for this entire story has been very sparse with dialogue and very high on action and that yeah. has only served to really like strengthen these emotional ties that I've had to the passing of Wolf Sternhammer. Again, a man that we see like on like he's like a the badass uncle you have, you know. He kind of he kind of shows up <laughs> like every so often. You're like, man, these I I love this extended family, and they're the only part of my extended family I like because they go on awesome adventures and shoot people. Um. And then I lose half, or I should say a third of, like, this gang that I've come to love since, by the way, the first time we saw them, they went to fucking hell. Uh, that was awesome. That was, that was the second time, but yeah, oh, definitely. Second time? What Very was early on. Time? The first time was that Death's Head story where they got, like, taken, they got uh, captured by those, like, uh, Pitbull monster a- alien guys and, like, forced to work for them. It was sort of a, like, I, I, I said at the time it was kind of a rough introduction to these characters because they sort of, the opening move was that they took away all their cool stuff, you know? Oh, and then they that's kind of right. I stuff. remember you mentioning that. It's like no Electronux, no time grenades. Like, it, you, because I yeah. remember you saying, like, all of these things, the things that people know about them, but I cannot remember for the life of me the rest of that comic other than you telling me that this was dumb. I um, mean, to be fair, it was literally eight years of progs ago. <laughs> 
God. It's like 1978. Freak out. You I'm know? trying to keep this Rolodex going forward. Anyway, my point is, is that it's all all in service of setting up for one of the most, I like. I really hope it's a rampage Archer style. Like I, I want to see him just consistently get drunk and uh, like take a bunch of jet and run around a wasteland, just like murdering dudes. <laughs> how dare you, Archer steal and Fallout reference? That's uh, awesome. Slash, uh, how dare you shoot me in the head and bury me in the desert and leave me for dead? Uh, anyway, yeah, that's a solid. How dare you? Absolutely, uh, it's pretty good. Because <laughs> that's actually kind of what happens. They leave him in a desert, shot in the head. That's how Fallout New Vegas starts. Hmm. Connection. Anyway, I fucking loved it. Um, that does not mean that I did not love Halo Jones. It's just kind of second fiddle to this thing that I'm really excited for, especially knowing that Halo was likely not to come back and better off for it. Though I wish it had in 1987. So Conrad, oh, yeah. with that long-winded explanation about why I feel feelings and how pictures can make me feel feelings uh conrad what were your top and bottom thrills oh man um yeah i mean I'll, I'll take the easy one and just say i'll agree that that the future shocks were were not that were you know like there were some fun ones i like the soap opera one i thought that, sure. was, that one was was kind of funny um and it's cool to see long. grant yeah, and it's cool to see Grant Morrison show up too. Just so you know, as these sort of this this new generation of writers sort of start to appear on the scene, as like Jerry Finley Day and other guys are sort of uh, phasing out, basically. Um, but yeah, man, get out of here with these feature shocks. Two in an issue, you're like you're better than that. 2000 AD for real. Yeah, man. Um, for top, I agree that I like. I really value Ace Trucking and Dread as being kind of lighthearted this episode because halo jones is real like i mean the end is hopeful but it's still like a hopeful cap on a very like sad story basically yeah um and strontium dog is just like the um you know just killing wolf and stuff is such is so hard you know (laughs) like it we like you know, we, we've all loved Wolf since forever, but to sort of see how he, how he ends up being the Viking sidekick of this uh, mutant guy, and then for him to immediately die thereafter, is 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 like a, a bitter pill. It's a tough situation, and um, yeah. So it, it it just makes it very hard. Although I do like in this episode that we managed to get a little bit of a hint of the of the quest for revenge to come. You know, yeah, um, exactly. I think I'm gonna give my top to Halo Jones for this one, well just so we can have some disagreement. And because again, <laughs> like this is just real. This is like this is one of the most important uh, 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 thrills and just like a really big thing. And so it only makes sense to me to uh, to give it top. And it was really great. I love the end and Halo flying off into the stars to find her future. And the fact that we don't know what that future will be, but that it will be great, is, I think, a great way to finish off this story. It's a beautiful send-off, right? Yeah. No, I really I, I really agree. I, I, I read the, the end almost word for word just because I really like the terms of phrase and stuff like yeah. that. Yeah, I appreciate it. Um, yeah. Anyhow, <laughs> I hope everybody enjoyed the show. As always, you can find Space Spinner 2000 on iTunes, Stitcher, the Google Play Store, Spotify, or your 
or on our podcast site, spacebinner2000.com. Feel free to contact us at spacebinner2000 at gmail.com on the 2080 forums or on our Facebook, Instagram, or Twitter pages on Twitter. We're at spacebinner2k. For everything else, just look up spacebinner2000, and we should be there. Come back next time as it's as it's 2000 AD's ninth birthday, the start of new stories for Judge Anderson and Johnny Alpha, and we'll get two new thrills with Bad City Blue and Sooner or Later. Ooh, two new thrills. Is it good? Yeah, well, I, I think soon, like, I've got mixed, I don't know, I've, I've, I've got mixed feelings about Bad City Blue. I don't, rem- I don't remember it that well, but uh, Sooner or Later is pretty good. It's got some cool stuff. Wait, I'm I mean, just I'm, wanna, I just need to check. I've got one mixed thing. feelings about cabbage, but it's good in some stuff. So that's, I'd say that that bodes oh, well. Shit. For it. Yeah, sorry. Also, come back as we're going to be talking with about the uh, sci-fi, the 1986 sci-fi special, which Ooh. will be guest starring a good buddy of mine, uh, Drew, who I do the Stranger by the Dozen podcast with. Good awesome. times. Yeah, exciting stuff. He's another uh, American and has almost no 2080 experience, so hopefully just throwing him in the deep end of this sci-fi special should be awesome. All right. Until then, I'm Conrad East Fox, and we are Space Spinner 2000. My point is, is that anytime someone, because this has never happened to me before, my "where tiger origins" has never been uttered as a phrase, and I'd like to thank you, Conrad, for blessing me with this infernal knowledge. I'm just trying to, I'm just trying to explain the things that you're saying, buddy. That's all. My only goal. <laughs> you, you may be the only one who tries. You know, I'm always, I'm always after that that uh, no prize of just explaining how things work, you know. But anyhow, okay, man. Okay.